This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, We are now turning, switching gears, and we're going to be talking about a very common class of medications that many of our listeners are probably taking. They are blood thinners, and they are used to prevent a stroke by stopping blood clots from forming. Most people are probably familiar with the blood thinner called warfarin, or Coumadin is the other name for it. Not too long ago, if your doctor said you needed a blood thinner, you didn't have to think too hard about it because warfarin was the only way to go, but not anymore. There are four other medications to pick from, and given that, you'd have to do a little homework to figure out what is best for you. So if you have questions about blood thinners or anything else that you want to ask the doctor about, he is on the line, our house doctor, Zachary Levine. Before we go to him, let's give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And let's go to our house doctor, Zachary Levine. Hi. Hello, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, I see, uh, I mean, you know, I wonder actually the proportion of patients, but almost half of the patients I think that come, that I see in the emergency department are on some form of blood thinning medication, whether it be, um, whether it be the ones that you were referring to, so uh, warfarin coumadin being the, the best well-known of the strong ones that have been used in the past, and then this, this new generation of medications called the NOACs or the DOACs, the, uh, the uh, novel anticoagulants, uh, of which uh, some of the names are Pradaxa and Eliquis and Xarelto. Um, and Cervesa. Al- yeah, exactly. And and also, though, uh, we can't forget the ones that a lot of people are on that they don't necessarily think of as thinning their blood, but aspirin is a very powerful blood thinner, and Plavix is another one. And and like you said, they're used for to prevent... Blood clotting, of course, is absolutely essential. We all rely on it, so we don't... You know, if we didn't have blood clotting, we'd just keep bleeding until we had no blood left, so... We need it, but blood clots can be a big problem. Number one is if they go to the brain, and that's uh, what causes a stroke. And that's, um, you know, there are certain risk factors for that, including if you have an irregular heartbeat like atrial fibrillation, which we've talked about. And then uh, it, they can also go in your lungs, which is another one that we worry about a lot uh, for, di- for a number of different reasons. Um, and that's, uh, we call that a pulmonary embolus. And so we use them both for prevention of these things, to so prevent these blood clots, uh, from happening, but also for treatment. So people who've already had a blood clot have suffered from a blood clot. We don't want it to get worse. We want it to. We want it to go away, obviously. And so some people are on uh, blood thinners for for months to years, and some people are just on it for the rest of their lives. So, but you have to be careful because then your blood is thinner, and you can you can bleed a lot more. Okay. Uh, so first of all, let's tackle how how would you know that maybe you need a blood thinner? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways. I mean. Number one, so some people don't, won't necessarily know. Like I said, the, there are different reasons. So one is this irregular heartbeat. Some people don't feel it when they have an irregular heartbeat. But you may, if you feel it, usually the symptoms are palpitations. You feel like a strong heartbeat in your chest. 
and or chest discomfort or shortness of breath. If you have any of those things, you should get checked out. And you have, and if you have an irregular heartbeat, you may, you may need to be on a blood thinner to decrease your risk of a stroke. Other reasons, other things that increase your risk for blood clots are number one is immobility. So if you're stuck and you're not able to move for a long time, especially after a surgery. Uh, so like uh, a very good example is a hip replacement surgery that increases people's risk of uh, getting a blood clot. And so very frequently those people will be on a blood thinner temporarily after their surgery to prevent them from, from uh, developing a blood clot. Cancer is another uh, cause or something that increases your risk significantly for having blood clots. And then uh, hormones, exogenous hormones is another reason. So if you're on especially estrogen for a long period of time, uh, you're, at in- you're definitely at increased risk of developing a blood clot. Oh, and also let's remind people, particularly at this time of year, if you're traveling uh, and you're on a plane, you've really got to get up and walk around because that's uh, a risk as well, sitting on a plane for too long. Absolutely true. And that's uh, a lot of people aren't aware of it. And in some people, depending on your risk, if you're at, at increased risk for some other reason, uh, some doctors, it's sometimes indicated to give someone a low dose of an anticoagulant blood thinner uh, before they go on a trip. Most people, it's not necessary. As long as you get up, especially this, uh, this uh, applies primarily to flights over three hours. And the longer after that, the more risk there is. Uh, but most people don't need to be on a blood thinner for that. However, it's definitely healthy for all of us to get up during the flight uh, at least a few times. Uh, there's different guidelines, but certainly at least every hour and just, just uh, to walk a bit because sitting in that seated position without moving uh, d- increases or decreases the circulation of your blood. And the more your blood stands still, the more it has a chance to clot. And uh, also uh, for the plane, it's a good idea to wear compression stockings if you're going to be on a long flight. Absolutely. And in fact, some, some people, well, actually some surgeons I know, people who stand uh, for a long time at work, um, some of them uh, wear compression stockings. It's not, not just for the blood clot benefits, but also for the leg swelling and maybe varicose veins, although I don't think there's great evidence that it prevents varicose veins. Uh, but, uh, but also there's a lot of people whose legs swell if they sit for a long time, and for those people also it's recommended they use compression stockings. And there's different, uh, there's different sizes, there's different amounts of pressure in compression stockings. They don't, it's not one size fits all. Yeah, and they're different. Uh, I know that uh, I went to South Africa last year, which is a very long flight, yeah. and so I got the ones that went all the way up. Oh boy. And, and I made my husband wear them, but he wouldn't wear the ones that went all the way up, so his were knee socks. Yes. No, fair enough. And where they, I've, I've heard they can be very warm. Yeah, they, uh, and uh, we were going to land in, in heat, but, oh, you know, geez. tough luck. I'd rather, I'd rather be warm than have a blood clot. Uh, yes, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Okay, Zach, uh, let's take a call from Gloria in St. Catharines. Hi, Gloria. Hello. Uh, yes, I'm calling about a sciatic nerve problem. I've been yes. suffering this with about six weeks now, mm. and um, I've been put on uh, anti-inflammatories, but just ibuprofen from my doctor, and she says to use Voltaren rub and a heating pad, and I also have been going to a chiropractor, and I am still in extreme pain when I get up in the morning. It's just excruciating. Mm. And uh, I was wondering if you give me any ideas what what can actually be done. I've had this for about six weeks. Oh boy, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. that and it can be, yeah, as, as you're saying, it can be quite debilitating. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing already is the right stuff. So it can be frustrating as well if you're doing the right stuff and it's not getting better. One other thing that I think is worthwhile is to at least 
one time is to meet with a physiotherapist. I don't know if you've done that. Well, I've been given um, sort of stretching exercises to do, okay. which I do. Yeah. But they really don't seem to be helping. Yeah, they haven't helped. Either. But I haven't actually gone to a physiotherapist at all. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a couple of other things I can think of. I mean, number one, if the medication you're using isn't working, it's, it probably is worth trying something different just because sometimes even if it's an anti-inflammatory, one anti-inflammatory may be effective when another right. one isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, uh, you're right about physiotherapy. They do teach you to do stretches and exercises to decrease the amount of uh, inflammation and irritation on the sciatic nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think it is worth seeing them at least one time because even if you get some, if you read about it or if your doctor shows you, uh, it's often not, uh, well, it's obviously it's just general. It's not for everyone. And so you specifically may need some specific exercises and stretches that can help you more. And they can also, by examining you, they can also determine if there's something that is uh, predisposing you to it, like if there's certain something to do with your walking or your shoes or whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, well, you know, ultimately you want to get to the root of the problem. There, the inflammation right. is there, and that has to be treated, mm-hmm. and that's what the stretch is, and that's what the anti-inflammatories. But also, if you can figure out, if the physio can figure out or someone can figure out where, the, where it came mm-hmm, from, mm-hmm. you can hopefully prevent it from occurring uh, again. So I would, I would go to physio, and I'd also recheck in with your doctor about maybe changing the medication if it hasn't been working. Right. I also, after I started all of this treatment for the sciatic nerve, I found out that I have stenosis in the lower back. Oh, okay. And arthritic, also arthritis. Can we tell um, people what stenosis is, Zach? Yeah, so stenosis is basically narrowing. It refers to anything. I mean, you can have stenosis of an artery or a vein, but in the in the spinal cord, it means that the area, often it's from arthritis or another reason, that the cord area is somewhat squeezed, and that uh, causes pain because it irritates the lower spinal cord and gives you can give you this mm-hmm. radiating pain. So, I mean, I have been told by the chiropractor this is probably why I have my sciatic nerve problem, but I don't feel that it is because I ended up with this problem after I had done a lot of extra gardening about a month or so back when we had that lovely weather, and um, yeah. then one morning I got up and I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. So uh, I don't, and I didn't even know I had the stenosis till after I had the diagnosis for the sciatic nerve problem. My doctor just happened to say, well, I'm going to send you for a lumbar uh, x-ray, and that's when we found this out. Oh. I see. Yeah, and the treatment is also a bit different for that. I mean, usually, depending on the extent of the stenosis, it's still often similar uh, in terms of, you know, exercises, stretches, and anti-inflammatories, but but they are somewhat different uh, if it's really the stenosis that's causing it. And you're right, it's not necessarily, you can have a sciatic, uh, sciatica, sciatic nerve inflammation and irritation without having the stenosis. So they are two different things that uh, could be contributing. Okay, Gloria, thanks so much for your call. I'm on the line with our house doctor, Zachary Levine, and he is taking your calls and questions about whatever you have calls and questions about, although the topic for today is Blood thinners, which is something that a lot of people have to take. We've been talking about warfarin and also talking about a new class of medications. There are four of them. And, uh, Zach, I believe that the difference is that with the newer ones, you don't have to monitor your blood as often because with warfarin, you've got to have blood tests at least once a month, right? Exactly. That's the, that's the uh, positive way. That's the positive thing about them. I mean, yeah, warfarin, and it's especially at first, sometimes it's hard to get it in that right range. We, we measure something called the INR, and you want that 
depending on what the cause is, we want it usually between two and three. And at first it can be hard, and sometimes you need blood tests every several days, so that can be a pain. The problem with the new ones is that aside from Pradaxa, uh, we don't have reversal agents yet, so that uh, if you have bleeding, it's sometimes very difficult to reverse the bleeding. So that's the that's the concern with the new ones. Okay, but, well, let's backtrack. Obviously, uh, the point of these meds is that they thin your blood, so there is a risk of bleeding. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and that's something very important, and pe- hopefully, people who get prescribed these medications are aware of it. That you these these medications are quite effective, and we, the reason we keep them. The reason with warfarin uh, we measure the INR is we want to see, it's a measure of how thin the blood is. We want it to be thin enough that you're not going to get blood clots, but if it's too thin, then you can bleed even spontaneously. What we want is that you won't bleed spontaneously, but that if you do bleed, you'll still stop, I mean, eventually. The the concern is, though, if you have uh, some other cause for a bleed, so the most common one, the the two most common that I see are Number one is trauma, so a traumatic injury, a car accident, uh, someone hits their head. And number two is um, uh, gastrointestinal bleeding, so either vomiting or having or blood in the stool. And, and those are, are quite common. And if you're on blood thinners, they can be quite catastrophic unless they're reversed. And with Coumadin, we have a, quite a bit of experience, and we are able to reverse it. There are medications to reverse it. And now, now with the newer medications, uh, Pradaxa, Enzorelto, et cetera, uh, we're starting to. Production now has a reversal agent, um, but it's still number one. You have to get you have to get to the care uh, quickly because if you have a, a big big injury or you're bleeding a lot, you have to get somewhere where they can re- uh, they can stop the. So bleeding. should somebody uh, who's on a blood thinner have like one of those medical alert bracelets or whatever? Yes, a hundred percent. They should absolutely, and they should be aware of this, and they should be uh, careful. They should be careful as well. You know, we're all, we all should be careful, but just be aware that and. That if you have something, a cut that can be compressed, then that's great. The problem is the two things I was mentioning, there's nothing to push on. You know? So if it's inside your skull, obviously, you can't push on your brain. And if you're having bleeding from, from inside your gastrointestinal tract, there's no way for you to push on that to stop it. So, uh, so you have to get to help as soon as possible. And that, yes, absolutely, one of the medical alerts, something to alert people is very, very important. Okay, we've got Rosanna in Woodbridge. Hi, Rosanna. Hi, how are you? Oh, you have to turn down your radio, Rosanna. I, I don't hear what I'm Okay, uh, we'll try see if we can hear what you're saying. Hi. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you know what? Go ahead. Well, I just think I, I you're talking to the doctor. Okay, I'm sorry, Rosanna. We really can't hear you. I'm so sorry. Oh, you you got some echo Thank there. You. Okay, bye-bye. bye bye. Okay, well that's too bad. I'll yeah. give the numbers out again. We do have a few more minutes with Dr. Zach. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free one eight six six. 740-4740, and people, uh, remember, please have your radio turned down uh, when you're calling in because uh, it gives a kind of nasty echo. And uh, we're talking about blood thinners. Of course, uh, we'll take whatever calls and questions that you have. And uh, Zach was just talking about antidotes because if something, uh, God forbid, should happen, uh, and you start bleeding while you're on a blood thinner, that's not a good thing to happen. And uh, a couple of these new ones do have an antidote. Warfarin 
has an antidote. Uh, so um, that's one of the things that you really have to be asking about if you're being put on a blood thinner. I'm sure that your doctor um, will bring it up. Okay, let's go to Sharon in Brampton. Hi, Sharon, how are you? I'm fine, Libby, and how are you? I'm fine, thank you. My question, um, uh, well, both my parents um, died from a stroke. Mm. Um, and my mother was on warfarin. Yeah. Um, but she still had a stroke. She um, didn't get enough oxygen to the brain, apparently, um, was hers. And I was wondering if I'm 66 now, and does that make me more susceptible to a stroke? And should I maybe look into a blood thinner, or could I just start taking a baby aspirin? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good question. And so uh, the first question is, yeah, are you more susceptible to a stroke? I mean, there's certainly... There's certainly evidence for most things having some uh, family history or genetic uh, kind of predisposition, it, but it does depend. You know, it depends on uh, your mom may have had genes that you don't have, and also it depends on somewhat on, you know, her life and what she was exposed to. So it does, it's not necessarily the fact that you have an increased risk of stroke. What, what's, what's easier to figure out and what's important is to look at all the different risk factors uh, you specifically for stroke, and that's uh, things like your blood pressure, your cholesterol, if you have diabetes, not smoking. Um, I don't smoke, but I do have high blood pressure, and I did have breast cancer. Okay, yeah, there you go. And so in terms of whether or not you should be on a blood thinner, it's, you know, so most people sh- don't need to be on something strong like warfarin. However, there is some evidence, it's worth talking to your doctor, that someone with any, uh, that if you have a blood, uh, sorry, a risk factor, so like high blood pressure, for example, and as of a certain age, some people think 65, but again, it has to be individualized, that you should take something like aspirin, which is actually quite an effective uh, blood thinner as well. It works a different way. It blocks with uh, platelets, which are one of the first things to the start a blood clot. But that's why so many people are on a baby aspirin. It's important. I, w- I wouldn't, you know, I can't recommend over the radio that you start a baby aspirin, but it's definitely worth talking to your doctor about and, of course, uh, but the same precautions still apply, especially with aspirin, which is an anti-inflammatory, uh, if, is that the most common sort of bleeding or irritation is of the stomach with that kind of medication. So if you're someone who's had ulcers, then it's not a good idea. But it's also just important Zach? to be aware. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to try to get through um, sure. one or two more calls here. We're running out of time. Uh, Joy in Toronto. Hi, Joy. Hi there. Hi. Hi. I was telling you about my husband's problem. Go ahead. So he came home from hospital, and after three weeks, I had to rush him back to emergency. And in two days, they found out he had thrombosis on the same leg. Uh, They had to operate, and that's when he was put on Coumadin. Right. Um, He has had many traumas since then. And recently, he had a trauma in his left leg, which was his good leg. Mm. And it was from probably a bang, a knock, or something to his ankle. Mm -hmm. And it took over three weeks to clear up. Um, Is there something else he can be on besides Coumadon? Right. Uh, So thanks, Joy. It's a good question. And just in in case people don't know, thrombosis is basically a blood clot. It's the medical term we use. And embolus, in case you hear that word, is it's a blood clot that has moved from somewhere. And I'm glad Joy brought up the legs because that's, I hadn't talked about it, but it's a very common thing we see is you can get blood clots in the legs. And if they are, if they're in the veins, it's a risk of them going somewhere else. And if they're in an artery, it can also, they're quite dangerous because then the, 
you know, the leg doesn't get enough uh, oxygen supply and can actually, can actually die if it's not treated. So as to whether he can be on something else, it's really, I mean, there, are, there certainly are other blood thinners, the, the new ones which have different indications as well. The as, ones we've been talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, but it really, uh, it, that would be a question for his doctor his, and ideally his vascular specialist to determine whether he's a candidate and depending on what you're after, you know, if, if it's the problem with getting the blood uh, tests and whatnot, then you'd look at certain medications. Okay, Zach, let's try to get one more call in. We've got uh, Joanne in Port McNichol. Hi, Joanne. Hi. We have very little time left. <clears throat> okay, the question I have uh, with Coumadin or Warfarin is, um, is there, there, I understood there were foods that you shouldn't be eating because it um, increases the thinness of the blood. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. That's uh, that's very important. So the one that's most uh, famous uh, is um, uh, grapefruit. So grapefruit is one that people uh, that that can increase, can make your blood even more thin. And then the opposite of that is that there are some medications that have a lot of vitamin K, which actually makes your blood more thick. So the warfarin will be less effective. And those are things like kale and spinach and Brussels sprouts, those sorts of things. Things that are healthy for you usually. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, but you know, I would uh, look it up or talk to your doctor. There's, there's a whole list of different things, but those are the most sort of famous ones. And grapefruit, yeah, it, that works the other way in the sense that it makes your blood even thinner. So be careful about that. Okay. Um, basically, uh, that is about all the time we have, like 30 seconds left. So, Zach, is there anything you would like to leave us with? I guess um, be careful, have fun, happy holidays to everyone. Okay, and happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah to you. Thank you, you too, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.